Welcome to Emil Franzing's Voices of the West, dedicated to the principle that America was better off when our TV shows featured cowboys instead of lawyers. Well, and a very pleasant good uh, Saturday afternoon to you. This is take two of our um, <laughs> Voices of the West uh, gathering here uh, for Movie Saturday. Um I'm Harry Alexander, Bunker DeFrance is here. Our guest is uh, John Camrata. On the phone in Los Angeles is Todd Roberts. And it is storming like a son of a gun here. So uh, we had to uh, abruptly stop the very first portion of the broadcast and uh, come back and uh, uh, regroup and uh, get stuff out of the weather. <laughs> and so now we're back. John, thank you for being here. Oh, thank you. It's great being here. John. And this show is about uh, Clayton Moore. I thought it was uh, the uh, Singing in the Rain song with uh, yeah, Jim yeah, Kelly. We, we thought so. Uh, and Bunker is here as well. Yeah, you know, this is, this is kind of neat. You know, this is like being out here in the old days with High Chaparral, and you're right in the middle of a big setup. Yeah, all the cowboys are mounted up, sitting on the hill, waiting to come riding down. And out of the blue, or actually the dark gray, comes... And that's what we got. I mean, it was raining really good. We had to circle the wagons. We moved inside to the beautiful interior of the White Stallion. And Harry likes it in here, so we may just continue. It's like doing being it. on location, right? It was. It's just like being on location. All right. So the show today, as John mentioned, is about uh, it's Movie Saturday. And so we're going to talk about uh, Clayton Moore. Uh, you know him best as the Lone Ranger, but uh, he was in tons of other things before being in uh being getting the part of the lone ranger and but before i talk about that i have a story that i want to share with my with my partners here um wednesday i finally got my grandson who is six years old to sit calmly as calmly as a six-year-old can and watch a western now i preface this because the boy loves trains and so i thought well, let's watch a movie about trains and some cowboys in it. And he said, nah, I don't like people. I said, oh, you're going to love this one. He says, well, okay. And so uh, I popped it on, on YouTube. And I said, look, it's only about 10 minutes. You can handle 10 minutes, right? Yeah, okay, okay, okay. <laughs> and so we're watching the movie, and, and he's running around, and, and uh, the guys are robbing the train, and he's wondering, why are they robbing the train? I said, because they're bad men. That's why. And the, the movie that uh, I got him to sit through was The Great Train Robbery from 1903. Um, so I figured 10 minutes was about as much time as I could ask of a six-year-old. So <clears throat> we get to the scene where um, the, uh, the cowboys have uh, uh, they've robbed the express car. And now they're going to rob the passengers. So all the passengers are, are off of the train. And you can see the, uh, the bad guys are gesturing, put them up, put them up, and everybody raises their, their arms. And my grandson says, so why do they have their hands up? And I said, well, so that the bad guys can see they don't have any guns or anything like that, that, that they're safe. And he said, well, maybe they don't want to, maybe they have questions. <laughs> Out of the mouth of babes. Smart boy, smart boy. Yeah, so I finally got him to watch a Western, and it was The Great Train Robbery, uh, the very first uh, uh, movie ever made, and I think that is that is an accomplishment unto itself. Later in years, I will remind him of that, and he will have fun with it. And so, And he will cringe when I remind him of that. All right, <clears throat> Clayton Moore. Um, he, uh, he, he was born in Chicago. His first name actually was Jack. And he, uh, it was suggested that he changed it, uh, change it uh, after he got a, a couple of bits, bit parts there, and uh, so he did. And uh, kind of the rest is history. It was John Carlton. Yeah. The, was Carlton. What What is really impressive about uh, Clayton Moore is that Carlton. Okay. Carlton. Yeah. He he uh, he was the king of uh, Republic cereals. Uh, Clayton made more cereals. Than Buster Krabby did over at Universal. What? Yes. 
more cereals than Buster Crab. Oh, man. And most of the time, he was the bad guy. He was never really the well, the good guy. Two, there were, there were three. There, he, he was the heavy. Yeah. He was the heavy. Uh, he played the heavy. Unfortunately, and, we're running and he was on. good looking. Uh, it was it was unique for to have a, a heavy who was good looking. Yeah, he, you know, I mean, he was very good looking, and he was always in an impeccable suit, very tailored, very well groomed, and you know, it threw you for a little bit of a loop. Many of the uh, uh, serials that he did uh, was between uh, the nineteen fifty one and fifty four um, when there was the contract dispute. Uh, uh, in the Lone Ranger um, television series that he, he started on. That's when John Hart uh, replaced him for a couple of seasons. But um, he did, uh, uh, Clayton did Radar Men from the Moon. Uh, I, most excellent. He, he plays a heavy. Uh, and, and there were a couple of others in there. And I got my wife watching it, and I said, okay, so just close your eyes and listen to the, the content and tell me who it is. And she closes her. Oh, that, yeah, that's uh, Clayton Moore. Uh huh. And who, and who's the other one? Uh, and I said, uh, Mr. Ed. Oh, Alan Rocky Lane. Yeah. <laughs> well, with Clayton Moore, his voice was so. Uh, uh, you you knew who he was. I saw an interview with his daughter Dawn. She never knew he was you know a TV star or movie star till they were at a store to buy a TV. And the man that was selling the TV heard his voice and says, you're the Lone Ranger. You know, he knew his voice right away, and he had a distinct voice. Everybody knew Clayton Moore's voice. Well, you know, one of the interesting things, when uh, he got cast as the Lone Ranger, one of his first jobs was to listen to the Lone Ranger show and approximate Bruce Bremer because that's, they wanted to keep that sound. And they, they were, these early days, they were afraid that maybe people doing the switch over from radio to television would go, well, that doesn't sound like the Lone Ranger. And he did, in fact, when you, when you read the testimonials and the uh, stuff that people have to say about him, they, they say basically three things. What a, what a voice and what a gentleman and what he was the Lone Ranger, all of those values. Now, uh, before we go much further, I just want to point out to Todd, especially, and to all of our all of our faithful listeners, and to John and Judy, who's with us, uh, today is Clint Eastwood's birthday. Tomorrow is? How old would he be? Oh, that's right, yeah. Tomorrow is Clint Eastwood's how old? birthday. Old enough. 80 something. 80 something, wow. And also, though, sharing that birthday with... Uh, Clint Eastwood. Oh, by the way, what confused me is today is Clint Walker's birthday. But also sharing a birthday with Clint Eastwood is Harry Alexander. I gave him a great book for his birthday here. Uh, so, Todd, you know, you're going to have to... What's the name of that again? The Thrill of It All by Alan Barber. Todd, you're going to have to top that, you know, otherwise, you know, your visit to Arizona might be short. Well, you know, Bunker, as usual, you submarine me. I, of course, or another, you know, but what do I expect from a Basque sheepherder? Um, the best, who's half Navajo? Um, oh, Cherokee yeah. and Poetan, please. Okay, but, excuse me. Well, then, then we're cousins because my mother was uh, part Cherokee. So uh, uh, that's uh, it's happy from birthday. the Cherokees that was the al- the alphabet was created, and uh, by the great. Uh, leader Sequoia. Yes, and he created. So, he's one of the few people that created a a uh, written language where it never existed before, all by himself, true. talking yeah, leaves. Yeah, that's what I mean. Uh, he created the Indian alphabet, and yeah. he's a great great pioneer. Um, well, now I have my work cut out for me, but I'll deal with Clayton Moore. You know. Uh, I remember as a kid, my dad and I were walking around. My parents had a place in Bum Springs, so we were um, walking. My dad loved to go to the spa. So we go to the spa, which is now a hotel as well. It was a hotel back then, but it's also a casino. And uh, we're walking out, and I, my, I, my dad and I hear somebody yell, Bobby. 
So my dad turns around and we go over there and we start saying hello. And it's an older white haired guy and this white haired woman. And they're very nice people. And I'm, you know, I don't say much. And my dad introduces me and we start walking away. And uh, he goes, you know who that was, Todd? I said, no, dad, I don't. He goes, that was Lassie's daddy, Jack Rather. And I said, oh, okay. He goes, I know, Todd, you don't really care about Lassie, but you will care about this. He's also the Lone Ranger's daddy. He owns the Lone Ranger. And he he died only a few years later. He bought it in 79, and then he died in 83 or so. But he did make that film, The Lone Ranger, with Clinton's Pillsbury, Mm -hmm. uh, and was directed by William Fraker, who directed Monty Walsh. Right. Was that Jack Rather, Todd? That was Jack Rather. He was was also the daddy to the Green Hornet. Yes. Well, he made the movie The Lone Ranger and uh, The Lone Ranger, The Lost City of Gold that was filmed in the Tucson No, that was was Sealander that did uh, Lost City of Gold. Yeah, that was Sealander. Oh, that wasn't? Uh, But it was also, uh, the funny thing was, as I said, uh, oh, so what is, does Mrs. Rather do anything? My dad says in his typical fashion, yeah, she goes drinking with with uh, with uh, Nancy Reagan. That's Nancy (laughs) Reagan's best friend. (laughs) Sipping wine, you know, and uh, it's funny. I used to see Nancy uh, over at the uh, bistro. I don't know the Spago restaurant in Beverly Hills. And she'd come walking out of there. And uh, the last time I saw her, I said. Boy, I sure miss your husband. She says, not as much as I do. So, yeah. uh, and I think we all kind of miss that the days of Clayton Moore and Tonto, uh, the Lone Ranger and Tonto. I know I do. I love being able to watch them. There's a, there's a, uh, there's kind of a, a feeling of security there. And yep. It's a like kind for me. It's like watching Hoppy, um, because you know he's going to do the right thing. You know he's not going to back down. You know that he's forthright and has the he's he's somebody that you can always look up to. Right, you're looking uh, up to him the whole the, the whole movie yeah. or TV show the whole yeah. time. Mm-hmm. Whether or not the camera's on him or not, anybody's looking or not, he's going to do the right thing. And I think that that's uh, something we we miss and something we've lost. And I think uh, it. it Looking at today's, just watching the news, I see that we we see how desperately we need it. Yeah, definitely. Well, you know, one of the interesting things is the Lone Ranger, when it came to television, was the first scripted Western series. It was also uh, ABC's first hit, and uh, it got an Emmy nomination along the course. And it was just, like you said, there was something about the Lone Ranger that one, you know, the folks, your folks didn't worry about sitting you down in front of the TV right. and going off and doing what they needed to do because you weren't going anywhere and you weren't going to see anything bad. Also, the Lone Ranger, he, like, like Todd was saying, always like looked up to him and Hoppy was like that. Mm-hmm. There were certain uh, uh, cowboys that, wow, when they came on, you felt better as a kid, yeah. you know? Well, you know, there's, there's that, I think there was kind of like the big four in that area. There's Gene, Roy, Hoppy, and Clayton. Clayton Moore, right. And uh, the thing with them is they all had codes. Right. And, you know, you you, you had the Ten Commandments of a Cowboy. Right. uh, But they all represented wholesomeness. Right. Uh, Gene was a little more mellow. Roy had a little more action and stuff. But they all stood for values. They didn't drink. They didn't smoke. They didn't do bad things. Right. Well, even like Jay Silverhills, he smoked, but when he was in his Tonto outfit or when they were on tour, he was not permitted to smoke at all around the public or children or anything like that. You know, that's an interesting thing, too, when you mention that, because of all of the uh, TV cowboys, uh, and a lot of them went out on the road and did personal appearances, but uh, Clayton probably... 
set the record in, as far as visiting kids in hospitals and just and stuff you never heard about because you know they would you know like Gene and Roy they would go and do big circuses and big rodeos mm-hmm. and that would be part of their tour whereas you know he would drop what he was doing to go visit a hospital or something right. like that right. now I've got okay here you go Harry oh, I was just going to say uh, how many uh, who all here had a Lone Ranger lunchbox did you? Yeah, I, I had one. Uh, I think I had one, but yeah. I I definitely had a Roy Rogers. Oh yeah, I had I had Trigger on a metal frame, and at the end of his uh, and connected to his hooves were springs. <laughs> and my mother would sit me in my would I'd be in my diaper, and she'd put me on Trigger in front of the TV. There you go. And the box that uh, it came in uh, said. Now you can ride with Roy. Yep. And it had a cartoon graphic, you know, an, uh, an illustrated graphic of of Roy and Trigger riding, you know, full full speed. And my mother would I distinctly remember this at the at the place on Wilshire, that where we lived, and she would put me in front of the TV, and on that trigger and I'd be in my diaper and I'd watch, I'd ride with Roy every afternoon. That is great. Um, that is and great. It, that's where it started. Yeah. It was Roy, it, it, trigger, you know, and diaper. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, well I, I didn't need anything more. I, so I you, had I had underwear on and I had a horse. Uh, I was ready to go. There you go. Nappy in his bottle. Nappy in his bottle. All right. Now we got to do our first commercial break here. We're live out at uh, uh, White Stallion Ranch. This is Movie Saturday. Abel Franzi's Voices of the West. Todd Roberts is in Los Angeles. Bunker DeFrance is here. Our guest, uh, uh, another guest host is uh, John Camrata, and he's here. Uh, and I'm here, Harry Alexander. We'll be right back after these very, very important messages. The land of cattle, copper, and cowboys. It's also the true west where a large number of westerns were filmed. For your next vacation, come out to where Wyatt Earp made a name for himself as a highly respected sheriff. Stay where Jimmy Stewart filmed Winchester 73. That would be the White Stallion Ranch. Situated in the mountains just northwest of Tucson, the White Stallion Ranch is an award-winning dude ranch with 43 guest rooms and the Hacienda. That's a five-bedroom, three-bathroom home perfect for larger families, family reunions, and girlfriend getaways. Every guest room has a private patio with views of the cactus gardens, mountains, or corrals. Generous floor plans offer sunny, comfortable rooms, but you won't want to stay in your room. Outdoor activities are plentiful at the White Stallion Ranch. Horseback riding, hiking, shooting, archery, rock climbing, e-biking, and a weekly ranch rodeo are among the numerous activities that you'll enjoy on your ranch vacation. Go Western for your next getaway. The White Stallion Ranch. Book your vacation now online at whitestallionranch.com or call 520-297-0252. The Tucson Trap and Skeet Club has served Southern Arizona since its original incorporation in 1948. We have a 9,000-square-foot clubhouse with a restaurant and lounge, and we're open year-round for all your sporting needs. Wednesday, Saturday, and Sunday from 7.30 a.m. to 1 p.m. Come out and join us at our world-renowned facility located here in the Old Pueblo, Tucson Trap and Skeet Club at 7800 West Old Ajo Highway. For more information, call 883-6426. As we recognize the service of America's men and women in uniform, let's also honor the families who sacrifice so much every day. Military families endure frequent deployments and separations. They carry on while their loved ones are sent into harm's way and wait patiently for their safe return. If you really want to honor a veteran, look for ways to support their families and thank them for their sacrifices. Go to legion.org slash honor veterans to find out how you can help. 
Imus Wilkinson Investments, 777-1911, is a unique investment management firm. They pay little attention to where the market indicators are because smart investment management goes way beyond check and stock exchanges. They are very good at managing all types of investment based on client expectations. They build relationships, and they want clients, not customers. My family is proudly included among them, and they'll help you, as they did us, design a portfolio that achieves what you want when you need it. Imus Wilkinson Investments, they're really good at what they do. 777-1911. Read classic Western comics anytime at voicesofthewest.net. Listeners of 1938. <laughs> the uh, the radio. But, uh, Todd, let me ask you: Did you or your dad ever know Clayton Moore? Um, no, I didn't. But I did get to know. Um, I got to know a little bit. Uh, a friend of mine knew the author uh, who I'll, who kind of ghost wrote um, the book. Uh, that Dawn wrote about her dad. And there was a, she wrote a book about honor, bravery, fidelity, all the traits that the Lone Ranger had and uh, her dad had, she said, as a person. And, uh, you know, he wrote his biography in 66, but this was back in, um, in, I think, the early 2000s. And, um, and I forget the name of the book, but it's, it's about, it takes, it's all about loyalty, bravery, and honor, and how it applies in the real life of her dad and in The Lone Ranger and how he modeled himself after that character and how he tried to bring that to the character as well. And, uh, it was to me. It was fascinating because it was a lot more than just a guy who was playing a part, and I'm sure was a nice guy. A lot of these guys were nice guys, but this was a guy who really lived it, and I think that that it comes through, and you see it, you hear it, you feel it from him, uh, and that's why he was so devoted to it. Even after uh, Jack Rather won the lawsuit, he still dropped the lawsuit because Clayton wouldn't give up. Uh, in the in the late 70s, early 80s. So, mm. well, and uh, Moore spent some time in the uh, military during the war. Um, uh, he uh, enlisted in the U.S. Army Air Forces uh, and served uh, with the First Motion Picture Unit, making training films uh, like Target Invisible, in which Moore co-starred with the uh, with fellow actor Arthur Kennedy. Interestingly enough, he was stationed at Kingman. Whatever, whatever in the world, Army Post was in Kingman. That's, that's right. where he was stationed during that's the war, right, that's right. and that is that is just so. If, if anybody, if you know Kingman, <laughs> right, you, you got to wonder. Yeah. You know, there was um, before he became uh, in and became an, an actor and became in the in entertainment business. He was a model, professional model. I mean, like, like Todd said, it was a good-looking man. He physically, he was always in great shape, and and even when he, um, uh, his outfit for the Lone Ranger, he had a little bit in designing it. And Nudie, the famous uh, Nudie, designed his outfit. Did you know that he didn't wear underwear when he did that because it would show the underwear lines? Is that right? And at one time they were shooting one of the episodes and he did one of his famous mounts and ripped out the back of the pants. Instead of hollering cut, the director let it go so they would have a gag reel. Oh, really? Yeah. But, so the Lone Ranger is going to be lone for a long time. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I just want to add on to the thing there, his military service. He was with the 18th Army Air Force Base Unit, and uh, that was you know, that was quite a deal. It was a little 14-minute film. He did others. But I wanted to read something here because you were talking about the lunchbox, and 
the mer- merchandising of the Lone Ranger. Uh, let's see what it goes. He says, "Who did the merchandising?" Because he well, didn't I, own the name. Well, you no, know, the merchandising is a sponsoring. And here we go. We're going to say we start. He, start, he started out. Uh, the show was self-sustaining. This is on the radio. Uh, the first sponsor was Silver Cup Bread, uh, and then by November, uh, Bond Bread took over in '39. Except in the southeast, where Moretta Bread was sponsoring. General Mills became the sponsor in '41 until the series went off the radio in '55. Cheerios uh, sponsored the Reed broadcast until 56, and General Mills and Moretta bred uh, in the South. So, you know, this, it's so funny, but when you look at all of those old cowboy shows that were on the radio in early days of television, they were all almost all sponsored by bread or cereals, which is the farmer, you know, that's from the farm. Yeah. Well, the Lone Ranger, um, when he hit. When I talked to John Hart years ago up at Lone Pine Film Festival, the Ooh, second Lone Ranger, uh, he was saying that he had basically two major silvers. And the one that Clayton Moore rode was the number one silver. And when he took over, it was number two silver, who was a more uh, energetic horse. And when they did the movie, um, Clayton Moore did uh, uh, The Lost City of Gold, the Lone Ranger, there's a uh, a segment in there when um uh or no it was the original the the Lone Ranger movie yeah. when the he was at uh, he got shot and he had the horse bring him over to the stream they had to bring in silver 1 so but silver 2 would be so feisty <clears throat> that he'd have trampled him so they brought him in just for that one segment to go to the stream to lead him to the stream that was silver 1 and he used to have his uh uh, when he his um, they call him liver lips. His lower lip protruded. Yeah, yeah. And Silver Two was really nervous around the camera truck or camera cars. And when he heard the, the motors going, he would get all oh, crazy. So between the two of them, they kind of interspersed them. You know. Well, going back to last week's show, which was what, what about the movie horses? One of the things is that there was way more than two silvers. Right. There was the primary. First silver, the camera silver, which is the one you'd see in the close-ups and the right. rearing and the stuff like that. And he was, that was generally a school horse, or, you know, he was the, he was the smart one. Uh, the other silvers would be used for chases and stuff like that. And over time, though, you always would bring another horse on so that if something happened to your number one horse, right. you had a new number one. Uh, an interesting thing is you, the silver that uh, Clayton did all of the rearing shots. That was he one. loved doing that, and that was part of the thing that, you know. He, he got $50 every time he did it. Instead of them just rerunning it, he said, I yes. want to do it every time because they paid him $50. Well, that's, see, that's, that's the, the studios are, you know, bless their pointed little accountant hearts, uh, they're there with a pencil ready to scratch out anything they can to steal any dollar they can from the actor, from right. the stuntman, from the crew. Uh, they're heartless SOBs, pardon my friends. And I read that for the TV shows, he was paid $500 an episode. Well, no, he, start, yeah, he started out, and then after, the, after, the, after they went back, he went up to 1500 an episode. Oh, after that, okay. Oh, and Todd, nothing personal about my calling the production people SOBs. Well, uh, Bunker, it's completely okay for you to do that because my father used to call him that as well. Good man, um, your dad. You know, um, as as my father said many times, uh, we'd be at a meeting, whether it was regarding music or film or whatever in the entertainment industry, and we'd walk out and he'd say things to me like, I, you know, I'd say, well, I thought that went well. And he'd go, really? God, Todd, you got to watch that. <laughs> and I'd say, well, what do you mean? And, you know, he said yes to everything and this and that and blah, blah. He said, Todd, this deal will never go anywhere. And I said, why is that? And he said, because that guy can't make a deal to save his life. And I said, well, how do you know that? And he said, because... He's a suit, and he's never had to pay for a secretary. 
and and I was like, and when I was a kid, I was like, what? You know, I didn't understand it. But then, the more he said it, the more I experienced it, the more and more and more. And then I went. Eventually, it 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 came to me, and I was like, oh wow, my dad is pretty sharp. Yes, and, he is. Uh, you know, and he did say that, and he also used to talk about the fact that he would we would be watching a film. You know, it could be a western; it didn't have to be. It could be anything. And he'd say, but one in particular, Steven Seagal made a picture called "The Fire Down Below," where he's up with all these Alaskan uh, uh, natives trying to help them stop Michael Caine and his evil, polluting uh, oil well, oil platforms or oil business or whatever and he's riding uh he he gets hooked up with this this eskimo girl and they're trying to get away from arlie ermy and his band of mercenary killers and uh he's riding they're both riding horses and the horse that steven zagal is wearing is riding is like a bowl and saddle it's full of silver <laughs> and my dad says boy that is a beautiful saddle and i said Yes, it is. And he said, but you know, Todd, uh, no self-respecting cowboy would wear that, would ride that saddle. I said, well, Dad, it's a parade saddle. He goes, yes. And I, I started to say, I, I was about to say, so why, why then did Steven Seagal have it? He said, and you know, the only reason Seagal put it in the movie is because he got to take it home. <laughs> He put it in the budget, oh, wow. and he and he's a you know and 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 that happened all the time, and he always caught it when somebody would do something you know, like if something was out of place and it was a piece of furniture or clothing or whatever, and it was out of place in the film or it was overkill. He'd always say, "Oh well, that that." Right after the scene ended, Todd, that ended up in the trunk of their car. Yeah, continuity, so, continuity. Would most yeah, of those so, people, Todd, take the their outfits home with them? I mean, there were more than one outfit, but uh, after they were done filming, would they get to take that home? Was it theirs or what? Well, it depends on the production. It depends on the producers. It depends on the studio. Um, you know, how much power the, the star had and how much, shall we say... Um, uh, how, how how much chutzpah mm. the this the the person who wanted it had whether or not they took it or not. Uh, you know, um, my dad always used to say, you know, we never did that, and my mom said it too. We never did that. We never, you know, we had the, so many opportunities. Every time your father made a film, we could take this home or that home or you know, clothing or art or whatever, and they never did. They never did. And uh, my dad always felt that it was. You know, in the minds of a lot of these people is, well, it's free. Yeah, it's free to you. Mm. It's not free. Somebody had to pay for it. Either the producer had to pay for it or the studio had to pay for it. Uh, somebody somewhere paid for it. All and right. yeah, I know if it's the studio, it's a multi-million dollar, billion dollar company. But it doesn't matter. Yeah. Somebody somewhere paid for it. All right. Before we go to our uh, next break here, a little bit of uh, instant trivia for you guys. We know that the Lone Ranger television series debuted in uh, 1949. Who played Butch Cavendish? Glenn Strange. Oh, and I thought I had everybody. Uh, uh, that's, uh, the only reason I did, you beat me is because Harry had the microphone. But that's all right, because Glenn made a great... He also did... Because a, 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 uh, he did the first three episodes, the very first three, the trilogy... And then he did later on. He did another episode uh, as Butch Cassidy. His famous one was Sam and Gunsmoke, the yeah. bartender. Oh yeah. Well, okay. We got. We got. We have to do that break yeah, first. Yeah. Um, so Todd, hang on. Uh, we'll be back. And John and Bunker, hang on. We'll be back with much more of Amal Franzi's Voices of the West right after these important messages. for a property management company, here are some things you should consider. How long has the company been in business? What types of properties can they manage for you? And does the company give back to the community? Well, your search is over. 
The Polash Management Company meets and exceeds those considerations. They've been in business in Tucson, Arizona since the 1960s. They manage all types of properties throughout Arizona and elsewhere, from residential to commercial to public sector properties. The Polash Management Company also dedicates its time and resources to numerous community projects, including help funding the drive for the USS Arizona Memorial at the University of Arizona. You also want a property management company that puts you, the customer, first. Contact the Paul Ash Management Company today at paulashmanagement.com and ask about the complete package or call 520-795-2100. That's 520-795-2100. The Paul Ash Management Company, property managers you can trust. Can you even imagine switching back to pen and paper to run your business? Every year we become more and more dependent upon our technology. If your network is not set up properly, you're just one click or one email away from losing data critical to your operation. Arizona Computer Guru offers a host of services to prevent and protect you from disaster. From online backup services to email filtering to fully managed network services, Arizona Computer Guru is here to keep your network secure, your data safe, and your budget in the black. To schedule your free consultation, call 304-8300. The Tucson Trap and Ski Club has served Southern Arizona since its original incorporation in 1948. We have a 9,000 square foot clubhouse with a restaurant and lounge, and we're open year-round for all your sporting needs. Wednesday, Saturday, and Sunday from 7.30 a.m. to 1 p.m., Come out and join us at our world-renowned facility located here in the Old Pueblo, Tucson Trap and Ski Club at 7800 West Old Ajo Highway. For more information, call 883-6426. Hello, I'm Mr. Red. No doubt you've heard about rescue groups for dogs and cats, but did you know there's a rescue group for horses? That's right, it's called Horse It Around Rescue. Founders Steve Boyce and Teresa Worrell are helping out all those equine victims of neglect and cruelty by giving them a place to restore their health and wellness. And Horse It Around provides a nurturing and natural environment where horses can be horses, so they can be adopted out into forever homes. More than 120 horses, mules, and donkeys have been adopted out, but like everything else, it costs money to run the project. Horse It Around is a 501c3 nonprofit located in Southeast Arizona. Your tax-deductible donations to Horse It Around will go a long way so those horses can be horses. Check out the website, horseitaroundrescue.org. Make a difference in a horse's life. That's horseitaroundrescue.org. Hello, podcast listeners. I'm Tom, the host of the Movie Zealots podcast, and I'm inviting you to give the Movie Zealots podcast a listen. Every episode, my co-hosts and I review the latest box office releases, but there's more than simply just that. We also play games like the Alexa quote of the show, and may the odds be ever in your favor, and have a from the cutting room floor segment that is an open forum to discuss anything from our thoughts of a Netflix TV series to our experiences with movie subscriptions such as the AMC Stubs or Movie Pass. So, after finishing this podcast, please give the Movie Zealots podcast a listen. We can be found on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and Google Play. Simply search Movie Zealots. Until then, that's a wrap. You hit Red Gap just in time to see the end of another attempt to establish law and order. I'm going over to the jail and take over. There goes the one man that'll show the gun toters of Red Gap just where to get off at. It's the voices of the West. On Emil Franzi's Voices of the West, Saturday, May the 30th, the true Memorial Day. At least that's when um, it got set up. Uh, We're talking about uh, Clayton Moore. We're live out at the White Stallion Ranch uh, here in uh, just north of Tucson. Uh, Harry Alexander Bunker de France, uh, John Camrata is with us, and Todd Roberts is in Los Angeles. And uh, we are talking about uh, Clayton Moore. You know him best as... The Lone Ranger, but uh, he was actually the the king of uh, Republic cereals. I think uh, I don't know how many there were, but uh, that he made. But it was a buttload, we shall say. Um, he did. Uh, he, he he was. Uh, let's see, on the Hollywood Walk of Fame as of two thousand six, have his character's name uh, along with his uh, on his star, which reads Clayton Moore, the Lone Ranger. Um, inducted into the Stuntman's Hall of Fame. 
1982 and in 1990 inducted into the Western Performers Hall of Fame at the National Cowboy and Western Heritage Museum in Oklahoma City. And he was also awarded a place on the Western Walk of Fame in Old Town, New Hall, uh, yeah, New Hall, California. I don't know where that is, but... Um, New Hall, California is uh, uh, out where I... Out in Valencia, where Six Flags Magic Mountain is. It's about 40 minutes north of L.A., Harry, and... It's where the William S. Hart House is, where I didn't get to take you. And on the sidewalk there at the, um, shall I say, the outside of his property, as it goes around, um, on the sidewalk there just outside the park, he has 300 acres there, is the Hollywood Walk of Fame, and it's Western Stars. Yeah. So, it's- uh, it, you know, it's got him and... And uh, some of the others, that William S. Hart as well, and Harry Carey Jr. and so on. Well, it's also that's uh, up in the Santa Clarita Valley, uh, which yes. is the home of an awful lot of whistle. Yeah. Hey, Todd, when they yeah. did the Lone Ranger, the all the like talking parts. This this is for the TV show, the black and white series. Uh, they were all like on a sound stage. Then you'd have all the action out. I think that was Iverson's or wherever they did most of those. What was the uh, soundstage that they used? American or something like that? It was General something. General? And then they also. General Pictures, I yeah. think. Uh, um, and it's funny because I've seen all sorts of people, uh, everybody that are obvious to choose from, but I've also seen. People, great actors such as you, Beaumont, the father on Beaver, leave it to Beaver, as a bad guy mm-hmm. on on Lone Ranger and many other westerns too. Uh, and you know, it, it, it was a, like Gunsmoke, like the Lone Ranger, like Hoppy. They they boy, you know, working actors were were ready to go. Uh, you wanted to work, you got to work, yeah. and. Uh, you saw a lot of people. I mean, I've I've watched a lot of Hoppies, and I've seen uh, Victor Jory and several, Robert Mitchum and a few, and uh, and I think Hugh Beaumont I've seen as well. So it's it's uh, it's interesting how back in those days you had a lot of people working on stuff, you know, character actors who didn't make a lot of money, but they made a living. Well, you know, got along. One of the interesting things about Clayton is that uh, when he had the salary dispute over the Lone Ranger and left in 52 and didn't come back until 54. He had a very, very busy couple of years there. He was working all of the TV series. He did uh, a huge portion of his movies. Uh, Oh, I want to go back for just a second. I just want to kind of comment something about your dad. Uh, Working working 30 years in the picture business, you... You kind of get an inside view of what what's what, and very very seldom did the producers come out and visit the set or stuff like that. Uh, your dad was out there out here, I think, for the entire run of Monty Walsh, and I noticed that over the years the producers that seemed to take an interest in their shows and come out on the locations and stuff like that generally were the producers that produced the better shows. Well, we were all there. My dad packed the whole family up. We stayed at the Tucson Hilton the entire time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in fact, I, I've told you the story. You know, I grew up uh, loving the show, High um, Chaparral. And I'm walking down the hallway one day, and there's Henry Darrow sitting on a stack of suitcases outside his room. And I looked down and I went, hey. You know, uh, and I called him by his character's name, and he went, yeah. And I said, what happened? I'm about eight years old, nine years old, and he says, I don't have a key. I'm stuck in the hallway. <laughs> and, uh, and he was waiting for somebody from the from management to run up and, and get that. We also, I also stayed, as my, my older brother did, with that family I told you about, Bunker, mm-hmm. who was that he had 10,000, he had a ranch that was 10,000 acres, but he was up against BLM land of another 100,000 acres. And he was my dad's driver, and his name was Chet. And uh, 
he was a chain smoker. He knew he drove a big black Lincoln and he drove my dad everywhere uh, because my dad had no sense of direction and was would get lost <laughs> leaving the hotel. Uh, we get used to lost tease him that all the time. And uh, he um, he had three boys. The oldest boy's name was Bo. And um, they had so much land that even the 15-year-old had his own truck and he could drive it all over the place, never leaving their property. So he learned, he knew how to drive. He was 15. He's the only person I ever met that didn't have a driver's license, but I had his own vehicle. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, unfortunately we didn't know it, but when we went to say goodbye, uh, it, it was, uh, Bo, the oldest boy and Chet's wife who said goodbye to us at the hotel and uh, I said, oh, where's Chet? And they said, oh, he's busy or something. And it wasn't until months and months later that, that I kept pressing my mom saying, you know, I want to go back to Tucson. I want to go stay with Chet again and his family. And he had cancer and he was terminal and he took his life. Oh, and uh, and he was just a, one of the nicest people. My dad really, really enjoyed his company which was unusual for my dad because he only liked my mom and us kids. So, well, here's, here's really. another, get on to some getting back to the cereals because Harry is a cereal fanatic. Uh, I know there's at least 10 of them right here. And the very first one that uh, Clayton did or clay as his friends called him was pearls of Nyoka. And one of the interesting things that people talk about that cereal is that he rustles a, gorilla in it <laughs> only only a hero can do that uh he did the radar man from mars men from mars and that was that was the first role he did after leaving uh the lone ranger in 52 do you want to radar men from the moon right that's right he followed up with uh, the ghost of zorro Oh, it's hard to work holding a mic and doing three by five cards here. Oh, great. Thank you, Harry. He did, and this is one of my favorites, The Adventures of Frank and Jesse James. That is one of the best all-time action series. I have seen that uh, in its entirety, and there are a couple of other Republic serials that use the same uh, westerns that use the same story line and footage uh, from that <laughs> particular series. That was in 1948. Uh, 49, actually. Oh, no, that's Ghost of Sorrow. You're right. Right. Yeah. Uh, then he, he did The Crimson Ghost. Uh, Dick Tracy Returns with Richard Byrd, Dick Byrd. Uh, he also did a Western mini, uh, during, at one time. They were way down in the cast list. So, you know, these guys got around. G-Men Never Forget. Gunfighters of the Northwest with Jock Mahoney as the lead. Uh, and then Jesse James rides again. That's how popular the first Jesse James was. And of course, Son of Geronimo. That was 1952. Rod, yeah, and that was that was he he was the lead in that with Rod Redwing. Tommy Farrell was the kid. And here's here's a okay. Huh? Oh, okay. We're going to do a break here. And Bud Osborne was in that. Oh, hang on, everybody. We'll be back with much more right after these very important messages here on Abel Frenzy's Voices of the West. Arizona, the land of cattle, copper, and cowboys. It's also the true West, where a large number of Westerns were filmed. For your next vacation, come out to where Wyatt Earp made a name for himself as a highly respected sheriff. Stay where Jimmy Stewart filmed Winchester 73. That would be the White Stallion Ranch. Situated in the mountains just northwest of Tucson, the White Stallion Ranch is an award-winning dude ranch with 43 guest rooms and the Hacienda. That's a five-bedroom, three-bathroom home perfect for larger families, family reunions, and girlfriend getaways. Every guest room has a private patio with views of the cactus gardens, mountains, or corrals. Generous floor plans offer sunny, comfortable rooms, but you won't want to stay in your room. Outdoor activities are plentiful at the White Stallion Ranch. Horseback riding, hiking, shooting, 
archery, rock climbing, e-biking, and a weekly ranch rodeo are among the numerous activities that you'll enjoy on your ranch vacation. Go Western for your next getaway. The White Stallion Ranch. Book your vacation now online at whitestallion.com or call 520-297-0252. Imus Wilkinson Investments, 777-1911, is a unique investment management firm. They pay little attention to where the market indicators are because smart investment management goes way beyond check and stock exchanges. They are very good at managing all types of investment based on client expectations. They build relationships, and they want clients, not customers. My family is proudly included among them, and they'll help you, as they did us, design a portfolio that achieves what you want when you need it. Imus Wilkinson Investments, they're really good at what they do. 777-1911. Hi, this is Craig Morgan with a special message for all those who have served in the U.S. Army. The National Museum of the United States Army, to be built at Fort Belvoir, Virginia, will include the Soldier's Registry, an electronic record of Americans who have worn the Army uniform, recognizing their service. I've already added my story to the registry. I hope you'll add yours. To learn more and to make your story a permanent part of the National Army Museum, visit armyhistory.org. The Tucson Trap and Ski Club is one of the best-kept economic secrets in town. This 900-member group maintains one of the finest shotgun shooting ranges in the country, featuring trap, skeet, five-stand, and sporting clays fields, and hosts national and international events that bring thousands of people and millions of dollars into our community. The Spring Satellite Grand American Tournament alone involves 1,200 participants for 10 days. Learn more about this and their other contributions to our community at TucsonTrapAndSkeet.com. I guess I got the masked man to thank for keeping me out of more trouble, Bill. Masked man? Call him that if you want to. Or you can call him by another name. What's that? The Lone Ranger. The Lone Ranger. This is the Voices of the West. The cowpunches cry resounds to the sky. Sing yippee-ki-yippee-ki-yay. Sing yippee-ki-yay. Our voices well, we're not exactly singing that, but uh, we will sing Ohio Silver. <laughs> this is uh, the final moments here of Abel Franzi's Voices of the West, Saturday, May the 30th, the real Memorial Day. And uh, our topic is on Movie Saturday is uh, Clayton Moore, uh, the Lone Ranger, and uh, re- quite a hard-working actor, I reckon. I mean, he made... Uh, Bunches, bunches of movies, bunches of uh, Republic serials. And in fact, he, he he did make more serials than uh, Buster, Buster Crab. And he did a lot of personal uh, appearances. More than two hundred. Af- yeah, after the Lone Ranger series was yeah. over. Yeah. So, uh, Todd, you got anything you want to throw in there? Well, I first of all, I just it's great to have John on the show with us and you know for me it's always just such a treat to be able to even if it's electronically or virtually to hang out with you and bunker but also to have john with us is just such a pleasure and uh it makes me think back to the days that we had amel and uh and how much we truly miss him mm-hmm. uh i know we all do um you know i i miss my I miss my uh, a weekly or sometimes bi-weekly phone call of at any moment of the day, early morning or night, uh, late night, and the phone would ring and I'd pick up, hello, hey, Tiger, what are you doing? <laughs> and I would yeah. be, I, well, I'm just, uh, you know, and before I could even get my answer out, you know, I was thinking the other day <laughs> and he would roll into this thing and then. Sometimes I thought he was calling me up for a reason. You know, he had a he, he had a, a plan. There was a show that came into his head. Todd, I need you to help me with this or whatever. But it was, but so often it was not that. It was just, hey, Tiger, what are you doing? And I was thinking. And then he'd tell me this short little story. Could be a minute long, sometimes a little longer. And then he'd go, all right, got to go. See you later. And then he'd hang up. And I was like. Huh? Standing there, holding like on the corner, waiting for the bus that had left. I was like, <laughs> "Hey, what? What? Where did you go? You know?" And uh, I, I miss those days, and I, I, and I, and it, and it, and it, it makes me happy to have you on the show, John. Uh, thank I wish you, you very were much. on the show more, more often. Yeah, uh, that's what we said. Thank you. You know, well, so, it was Camrata who gave 
the uh, gave this name to the program. That's right. That's he he, right. Na- he named the show second second one on. Was yeah, Emil was doing his uh, other s- segments, and uh, and we were talking one day. I said, you know, you need to have something. The West needs a voice. I do a show about the uh, the West needs a voice, and that's how Voices of the West started. And I co-hosted, I think, four years with Emil. Yeah. And, uh, um, I found some old CDs. Oh, really? <laughs> oh, that were given to me uh, of old shows. Really? Yeah. So yeah. it did it for about four years, and you guys have taken over the, the show, and you're doing a great job. And Todd, it's always good talking with you, and you're so knowledgeable you, about the movies and the West, and uh, get an education every time I talk with you. Well, that's very kind of you to say. I, I feel the same way to you, and your expansive knowledge in, in music uh, is uh, par excellence. Well, uh, John, John is the Lone Ranger, you know. The Lone Ranger. That's right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I'm going to be alone for a long time. Uh, high O Bugle. <laughs> <laughs> if well, someday I'm coming John, to Tucson. John, if you're the Lone and, Ranger, I want a loan. I need uh, some money. What'd you well, say, Todd? I'm going to come to Tucson, John, and. I've I've th- been threatening Bunker and Harry with this for a while, and we're gonna come and and uh, I'm I'm coming for no other reason to try to cause as much trouble as possible. Uh, you'll you'll fit right in with our three of us. Yeah, you know, <laughs> to be uh, to be disinvited at, at as many places as possible oh. that we can get run out of, and mm. one of them absolutely is going to be the Silver Saddle. Which I've never been in, but driven by hundreds and hundreds of times. Well, you know, before, because we're almost out of time, I just want to say thank you, Judy. This is John's child, beautiful child bride he brought with her. They've been together for, I don't know, how many years, John? 45, just celebrated 45. Isn't that amazing? Your anniversary. But uh, it's just always a pleasure that she sits here so patiently and puts up with our silliness. And I just want to, I just got an idea here. Uh, The 4th of July, which is uh, Emil's birthday, is also a Saturday this year. And you've got some of those old discs. Why don't we do a, a happy birthday? Uh, Emil Saturday and play some excerpts from that with John and Emil and just you know and we can laugh and have fun yeah we had a lot of variety many many people from stuntmen and uh, people that were in the movies it was really interesting to to get to talk with a lot of these people you know well I would love to find the show that uh, we did with um Bob Shelton. Bob Shelton was his first guest. Yes, he was. And yes. I can't find that program, unfortunately. Right. But I'd love to find the one that uh, uh, one of the times that uh, Shelton was on. Because that, that was the show that I got my hoppy coin. Oh, wow. <laughs> wow. So. You know, one other thing, too. I'm just thinking that if possible, maybe invite Emil's granddaughter. We have somebody from the family there, and of course Todd, because they they Emil thought so much, so highly of Todd. Yes, he and, did. And I I remember when uh, we showed Monty Walsh for the fundraising movie, uh, Todd came out. We were everybody went down to the ranch, and drove around and looked at the ranch, and then we did a little kind of a back road tour around the ranch. It's the and, Empire Ranch. The yeah, Empire the Empire Ranch, ranch. and. Todd and Emil entertained us that whole trip just talking about Western movies. I was sitting in the back doing my fly-on-the-wall thing. Nobody believes I'm capable of that, but I did it that day because it was just <laughs> so great. And I and I got to I gotta thank you, Todd, because that's kind of how I got to know you, was just sitting there and listening to all those wonderful stories. I, I appreciate that very much, Bunker. That's kind of you to say. You know, I've, I've told this story many times, John. I don't think you've heard it, but, you know, whenever I do the show, you know, I lost my mom a year and a half ago, but <clears throat> whenever I do the show, uh, it would be, you know, on a Saturday, of course, and I'd say, listen, Mom, I'm doing the show today, so, you know, don't call me unless you got to go to the hospital, you know, between, you know, the hour of the show, three and four, whatever, four or five, whatever the time is, and She'd always say the same thing. She'd say, oh, God, I just, I have to ask you. It, 
do people really tune in and listen? <laughs> and I, I said, what? What, what, are you, what? what kind of a comment is that? You're supposed to be, you're my mother. You're supposed to be supportive and loving. Everybody's you know, listen, listening. I've been, I've been supportive and loving your entire life. Now I'm going to be honest. Um, let me ask you a question. I just don't understand it. I said, what don't you understand? She said, I I can listen to you for free, and I don't. Why would why would someone take time out of their day that they could be doing something else, like gardening or the laundry, to listen to you? I don't know. I I I I think this is all a lie. I think you all. I think what you do is you just listen to the show. You're not on the show. You just listen. But in your imaginary brain, you think you're part of the show. Got it. And I said, and one time I had to do the show with her in the car. Uh huh. On the way. I, to I remember lunch. that. Yes. Yeah. And on the way to on the way to Las Vegas, and I did the show with her in the car, and she. Every time there was a commercial, she'd look at me, and she'd take her 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 hand, her right hand, because I was driving. So she'd take her right hand and twirl it, meaning faster, pick up the tempo. <laughs> Enough already. Golly, you're putting me to sleep. Oh, she'd say, and I, you know, I, I just, I, I always think of that when I'm on the radio with you guys. That, Todd, pick it up, pick it up, pick it up. Well, I can hear mom. She's falling asleep. And on that note, we have to say goodbye because it is time for us to run away. Todd, thank you so much for joining us this afternoon. Appreciate it. Thank you, Harry. And John, thank you. Oh, it's my pleasure. And thank Bunker, you. thank you. And uh, next week, we are going to be talking about rodeo with the man who uh, runs, owns and runs this operation, the White Stallion Ranch, Russell True. He, uh, we found out he knows more about rodeo than rodeo itself. So <laughs> we're going to have him on the show back in studio. So until then, thanks for listening and uh, so long. Thanks for listening to Emil Franzi's Voices of the West.